0: We turn in God's Word then to the book of 2 Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 4, this morning. Read through the old chapter, but our text this morning is going to be the first. Six verses of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's hear the very word of God to us. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus sake so that the life of Jesus may also so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh so death is at work in us but life in you since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written I believe, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will bring, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal thus far as the reading of God's word let's again bow in prayer our, our heavenly Father we thank thank you for the word that you have given us the Bible we thank you that you have prepared the a way for salvation through Jesus and we thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us please be with pastor Bobs as he explains this portion of scripture to us we ask this in Jesus name amen Amen. We begin this section, these verses of one through six, by noting first of all, that that this is a continuing defense that Paul is having as as we've been looking at going through Second Corinthians, one of the things that that Paul is doing on an ongoing basis throughout this particular letter is defending his apostleship, defending his ministry. And in the first couple of verses, Paul does this once again. So the first thing we'll deal with is that section uh, that we'll call this ministry, or the ministry that Paul is addressing. Secondly, there is an aspect about blindness. As we come into verses 3 and 4, there's this idea that, that Paul is pursuing about blindness and the veil, that carries back to to last week's Sunday as well. And then the third thing is the light. So those will be our three points. the, The ministry, and then the blindness, and then the light, as we see it so beautifully displayed for us in Christ in this passage. As Paul deals with the ministry in his defense, the first thing to note is, what does Paul mean? Therefore, having this ministry... What ministry? What's he talking about? What is Paul's ministry? Well, it's the ministry of the gospel. It's the ministry of proclaiming Jesus Christ. It's the, the ministry of going forth with the good news that Jesus Christ is indeed come into this world, that he is the Savior, that salvation is to be found in no one else. Now that's important because Paul is saying, that's what notes my ministry. This is my ministry. It's the ministry of the gospel. It's not the ministry of raising funds. It's not the ministry okay, of, of raising funds for, for poor people. That's not my ministry. My ministry is about the gospel. Therefore, having this ministry... And he's referring back then to that which he's talked about in chapter 3, that he is a minister of the new covenant. He is a minister of the spirit of the law. No, of the spirit of the gospel, of the spirit of truth. Because you remember the people who are arguing against Paul that Paul is having to defend are those who are the legalists, who are trying to take the Corinthian church back into legalism. A salvation by works, by obedience to the whole of the Old Testament law. Those, we call them Judaizers in a a theological term. They want to bring them back to Old Testament law keeping. And Paul is saying, that's not my ministry. We are ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter that brings death, but of the spirit that brings life. The ministry of the gospel. This ministry. That Paul received by grace. We have this ministry by the mercy of God. And you can look at that in in two ways. One, Paul can be saying, and, and it would be true, that the fact that Paul became a minister of this new covenant, a minister of The gospel, a minister of Jesus Christ, is indeed by grace. Because all one has to do is go back and and think about Paul Saul's life. That he is the persecutor of the church. That he has set his face against Christ. That he wants nothing to do with Jesus. How is it that Paul, who was so steeped in this Judaism, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, with zeal, persecuting the church. How is it that he becomes this minister of the new covenant? By God's mercy. By grace. Paul says, I didn't earn this title. I, I, it's, it's not that somehow, you know, I achieved to this place. Now this is all by grace. My own salvation is by grace. The fact that I have this ministry of the gospel is also by grace. So in that respect, we could look at that phrase and say, well, yeah, he could be talking about his own position. But it would also be true of the fact of the gospel itself. We do not deserve the good news. We do not deserve Jesus Christ. We have not earned the right to be saved. We have not lived in such a way that somehow... God looks down from heaven and says, you know, those poor, poor, pitiful people, they're trying so hard. They're making such a good effort at it, but oh, they always come up short. Ah, because they're trying so hard, I'll send my son down to save them. The sending of Jesus Christ is an undeserved event. It is by grace that Christ comes. It is by God's mercy That Christ comes into the world. Now what Paul's doing here, once again, is is he's getting at this whole idea of the works righteousness of those who are seeking to take over that Corinthian church now. He's saying you can never reach that point. You can never arrive at a point where you have so perfectly kept the law that you can say, I deserve God's mercy. The law only brings condemnation. The law only brings judgment. The law only brings death. It's what he told us last week in chapter 3. Why would would you buy into that? Why would you be deceived by cunning and deceitful ways of, of people who are trying to distort God's truth? Now you see, we're saved. And the mere fact that we are saved is by grace. The mere coming of Jesus Christ is by grace. See, we have this ministry by the mercy of God. And it's because of that, Paul says, we do not lose heart. See, there's probably some folks who are looking at Paul and Paul's situation and saying, you know, you, you're beaten. And, and we'll get into some of that next week as well. You know, you're 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 beaten, you're imprisoned, you're persecuted. And now you got these people in a in a church that you worked on, a church that you planted, who are raising their angry voices, who who are saying you have no validity, who are saying you have no standing, who are saying you have no right. Paul, don't you lose heart? Paul says, "No. No, we don't lose heart. I don't lose heart." Titus doesn't lose heart. Timothy doesn't lose heart. Silas doesn't lose heart. And the church shouldn't lose heart. Why? Because we have this ministry, this ministry of the gospel, by God's grace. How can we lose heart? How could we, how could we ever, as believers in Jesus Christ, who are bringing that gospel, and yes, we meet challenges when we bring that gospel, but how could that ever defeat us? We go forward in that triumphal procession with Christ leading us. We go forward as that aroma of Christ into this world, the smell of victory. How can we lose heart? Now, next week he's going to say, well, you know, humanly, there are some tough times. But when I step back from it and analyze spiritually where we are at, and when I understand grace, don't lose heart. We move forward. And we move forward in truth. That's the third thing that characterizes this ministry. One, it's of the gospel. Two, it's by God's mercy. Three, it's in truth. And what Paul is simply getting at here in verse 2, where he talks about renouncing disgraceful, underhanded ways, okay, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What he's simply saying is this. The centrality of the ministry of the gospel is to be Christ. Because what are the Corinthians hearing? What the Corinthians hearing are hearing is law. They're hearing... The main thing you need to do is the law, the law, the law, the law. That's that's, and and you, you can pro- about imagine, you know, that there in the Church of Corinth, one of these false, misleading, cunning, itinerant pastors gets up on the pulpit, and what does he do with it? He uses it as a means not to proclaim Christ, but to underhand the ministry of the gospel. To revert the people back to the law. To say, you see, you're really not a Christian unless you obey this law. Unless you follow this particular feast. Unless you follow this particular festival. And what does that do? It takes our eyes off from Christ. And it focuses on a work. It focuses on our action. It focuses on what we have to do. Paul says, that is cunning. That is deceitful. That is a mishandling of the word of God. What is to be central is always the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, if you stopped and said, okay, so if I read through every chapter that Paul wrote in the New Testament, I would find Christ. And the answer is, yes. Yes. He always gets around to Christ. He always brings us back to to the centrality of Jesus Christ. This ministry. But then Paul, okay, follow along with me, says, starting at verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of, of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, let's talk about this blindness that Paul is referring to here a minute. He says, we have this great ministry of the gospel, but not everybody sees it. Now, It's not that everybody doesn't see Paul. It's that everybody doesn't see the gospel. They don't get it. Not everybody comes running to Christ. Why? Because they're blind. Why are they blind? Because Paul says somebody has blinded them. Somebody has put a veil over their face. Well, who is the one who has blinded? Well, Paul tells us, doesn't he? Verse 4, in their case, those who are veiled, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Who is this? This is Satan. Jesus spoke about this as well in John chapter 12, verse 31. John chapter 14, verse 30. He talks about the one who is the prince of this world. That that there is one who has, has taken this world captive. And he's holding it, as it were, hostage. And he has blinded folks. He has put a veil over their face, so that they cannot see the glory of God. They cannot see that glory shining forth from the gospel. They cannot see that glory that is found in Jesus Christ because the devil, Satan, has blinded them. We get the same kind of reference from Paul if you turn forward to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Paul writes there, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then he goes on to describe what that looks like. So here, Paul uses the the picture of the fact that unbelievers are blinded by Satan. In Ephesians, Paul uses the picture of the fact that unbelievers are dead in their trespasses and sin because they're under the dominion spiritually of Satan. He is the one who blinds. Now, that's an important thought, isn't it? See, it's not my poor presentation of the gospel that keeps an unbeliever from believing. I would imagine when you analyze and and when they've done this, okay, and they ask folks, they ask Christians, you know, why why don't you you share the gospel more? Why, Why don't you tell the message of salvation? I mean, the Bible's crystal clear about we're supposed to do this. So, so why aren't, aren't aren't you telling folks about it? And, and one of the things that comes back is, I don't want to mess it up. I'm afraid to tell somebody, because if I tell it wrong, it may result in their eternal not knowing Jesus Christ. Folks, take the weight off. If somebody is not going to believe the gospel, it's not because... Of a poor presentation of the gospel. They've been blinded. By the God of this age. They've been blinded by Satan. He's put a veil. Over them. Nor. Is it the fault of the gospel. It's not the gospel either. The gospel is not at fault. It's not like, you know, maybe if we had a better message. Maybe we ought to change the story a little bit. Maybe we ought to change the message to make it more relevant to this day and age. Maybe then people would come. It's not the message. The problem is not in the messenger, and the problem is not in the message. The God of this age has blinded those who are perishing so that they cannot see the glory of God in the gospel. Secondly, Paul's taking us back again, isn't he, to the last chapter. He's taking us back to that that picture again of Moses and the veil. One of our... uh, Young adults in the, in the Beyond group correctly noted that, that in the Exodus 34 passage, the way this works is as follows. Whenever Moses goes into the tent of meeting, okay, he goes in unveiled. When he comes out, he speaks God's word. He tells the people what he has heard. And then he puts the veil down. The veil was because the people were afraid, uncomfortable with this shining face of Moses. Or perhaps it was just so brilliant they couldn't look upon it. See, one of the things that factors in here is that oftentimes we read in the New Testament or excuse me, we read in the Old Testament that when people heard the word of the Lord, they recognized that that word was so holy. They recognized that that word of the Lord was so pure, so majestic. They bowed their heads. Sometimes they prostrated themselves down on the ground. Well, if you got your head bowed and you're prostrated, What are you not looking at? Moses. See, when they hear the word of the Lord, they're listening in humble submission. When Moses is done with the word of the Lord, they look up and they go, Oh, put a veil on. We can't stand to look at you because the glory is so bright. What Paul is saying is that unbelievers have had a veil put on them so that they cannot see the glory of God. He's kind of reversed it around. He's turned it the other way. And it may be more here that Paul is referencing not so much Moses at this point as Paul is thinking about that veil in another light. He's thinking about it in terms of the tabernacle and then later in Solomon's temple, where, you know, we have the most holy place where God in his Shekinah glory dwells. But then in front of that, okay, is the veil the veil of the tabernacle and then the veil of the curtain. Okay, we, we read about that, don't we, when, when Christ dies and, and that veil of the curtain is torn from top to bottom. And, and you remember, you, perhaps you remember in that sermon, talked about the fact that at the time of Jesus, that veil, so they said, was about the width of a man's hand, a hand's breadth, so it either means this way or this way, probably this, so it's about four inches thick of material. What are they doing? Why are they making it so thick? because the glory that what they're saying is the glory of God is so majestic we need a big thick veil. Paul is saying it's that big thick veil that is keeping unbelievers from seeing the glory of God in the gospel. But Christ, you see, came and rent a veil So it's not the problem with Christ. It's not the problem with the Gospel. It's not the problem with the message. It's the fact that Satan has veiled those who are perishing from seeing the One who is the light of the world, even Jesus Christ. And if you stop to think about this a minute, The extent of that blindness. I mean, think of how hard a heart has to be to not be able to see Christ in the gospel. Think of how thick the veil has to be, the extent of their blindness. See, if you step back from this passage and think about, you know, I've been talking to so-and-so and so-and-so and 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 so-and-so for so long about the gospel and they just don't get it. What am I doing wrong? Nothing. Well, why don't they get it? Satan has put a veil over them so that they are blinded. They cannot see. They cannot see. Until God, by his mercy, by his grace, takes the veil away. So the prayer of God's people always is, Lord, through the work and power of your Holy Spirit, open the eyes of their heart, Lord. Open. The eyes of their heart. That's where the issue lies. Now, Lord, help me to think of a better way to say this. No. You don't follow cunning ways. You present the gospel. Why? Why? Why don't we need to change it? Why don't we need to alter it? that brings us to our third point this morning the light the light see an unbeliever is blinded from the light of the glory of christ of god you see how that verse works look at it again in verse four in their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing seeing what What is it they cannot see? What is it that Satan is preventing them by this veil of blindness from seeing? They are prevented from seeing the light, okay? the light of the gospel, of the glory, of Christ, who is the image of God. This is the first set of ofs. There's another one to follow. But we'll spend some time on this one. This is the first set of ofs. The word "of, as it's given to us here, okay, indicates the genitive. In other words, it indicates possession. It indicates that which is belonging to. So let's read it this way, because this is the way it's intended to be understood. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light belonging to the gospel that belongs to the glory of that belongs to Christ who is belonging to God. Notice where the light is found. The light is found in the gospel. The light is the glory of God. The glory of God. You know, we, we, you know, sometimes I know when we go through the Old Testament and we, you know, we go through the book of Exodus and we get to the chapter 40 and, and here they are, they've built that tabernacle and then we read and you know, God's glory comes in and we go, oh man, to see God's glory, man, that must have been amazing. Or we go to the, the dedication of the temple and the same thing happens. The glory of God is there. Or we go to Isaiah chapter 6 and Isaiah has this vision of the glory of God. Or we think about those shepherds in their fields abiding. And suddenly the glory of the Lord shone around him and we go, Oh, wouldn't that be great to see? Folks, we have the opportunity to see it, to hear it all the time because it is the gospel. The gospel is the glory. This is what God has given to us. He doesn't give us bright skies and say, watch this miracle. Now, unbeliever, don't you believe? God says, here, here's my glory. It's the story of my son. This is glory. The full glory of God. Not part glory. Not partial glory. Not a hidden glory. This is the full glory of God. That's what Paul is saying. It's no wonder Paul doesn't lose heart. See, if I diminish this, if I think less of this, I'm going to lose heart. But Paul, rather than thinking less of this, is thinking what this actually is. This is The glory of God to those who are perishing. This is the light of the gospel. This is the message of His Son. This is that glory that invaded that most holy place. This is the glory that surrounds those shepherds. You say, well, why doesn't God do those those big glory clouds anymore? He doesn't need to. Here's God's glory cloud. Right here. It is the gospel of the glory, look at the text, of Christ. Let's stop and think, what does that mean? That it's of Christ. Well, I guess it depends upon what you think of Christ right now. I mean, in some religions, Christ is still on a cross. Not sure there's a whole lot of, quote, glory in that. Kind of looks defeated hanging on that cross all the time. But my Christ is not hanging on a cross. Your Christ isn't on a cross. Your Christ isn't even in a tomb. Your Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Full of Of glory, full of truth. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. Out of His mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Read Revelation chapter 1. That's who our Christ is. This is the glory of Christ. And God gave him that revelation to remind John, Look, this is who my son is. It's a horrible age. It's a terrible time. Persecution is arising. It looks like Christianity is on the way out. There's all sorts of false teaching going on within the church. The Roman government is becoming intolerant of Christianity. You're sitting there in a prison because of the message of Jesus Christ. John, let me show you your Christ. Yep, there he is on a cross dying. Oh, there he is in a tomb, dead. (laughs) No, John, here is your Christ. Here is your Christ. Work finished, work accomplished, reigning gloriously as the One who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is your Christ, John. Oh, but if only we could have that picture! You do. You do. It's the gospel. The glory of Christ. Who is right? Who is the image of God? Here's where all those cults get it wrong, don't they? He's some sort of created being. He's some sort of higher order angel. He's some sort of evolutionized man. The light of the Gospel, of the glory of Christ, is this. That He is the image of God. Go with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Paul uses this phrase again. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. There is the light of the glory of Christ. Because He is of God. That's why I don't lose heart, Paul says. That's why I seek to be that sweet aroma, that fragrance, Pleasing to the Lord as I preach Christ. The Lord goes, Yes, yes, the story of my son. Veil <sighs> to those who are perishing. Light. The light isn't diminished, the light isn't hid not the fault of christ it's not the fault of god look at the second set of us go back to second corinthians chapter four verse excuse me first second corinthians chapter four verse five for what we proclaim is not ourselves but jesus christ is lord With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Where is He taking you? He's taking you back to creation, isn't He? What does God do in the midst of darkness? He shines light. What does God do in the midst of those who are blind? He shines forth the light of Christ. Yes, this world is blinded. So was Paul. Don't take it away from Paul's context either. Paul was blinded too, wasn't he? On his way to Damascus, he's blinded by the glory of Christ. But he never saw Christ more clearly than when he was blind. For before that, he thought he saw but he was blind. Now he sees clearly who Christ is. And even though God was pleased to take the scales from off his eyes, it didn't change The fact that Paul still knew who his Christ was now, who his Lord was. See, Satan seeks to blind with a veil, but God pierces through. Christ tears the veil, He opens the eyes of our hearts. Keep reading. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light. And here comes the second set of ofs, that second set of genitives. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And look at what he does here. Here, Paul says, this light. This light. It's the knowledge. It's the knowledge. It's the knowing. You see, you've got to remember in Bible times that the word knowledge here doesn't just mean facts. It means a relationship. So what you have is He has shown in our hearts. God's torn the veil that the devil had over us. God's opened up our hearts. He's answered the prayer that we began with this morning. God has opened our hearts. He's opened our hearts to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. To a knowledge, to a relationship not just a set of facts not just some theological treatises but a but a relationship to the knowledge of the glory see that glory is not only in the gospel that glory is in us that glory is in our lives It's not just out there, here. It's also here. The light, you see, the light, Christ, has taken up a relationship with you and I. A relationship that shines like glory. You want a glory cloud? It's you. It's me. We're the glory cloud to the world. Proclaiming the glory of the gospel. See, this is what we are called to. This is the life that that Paul sees in the midst of a hard and difficult circumstance. Folks, you've got to admit, we're kind of there. What's our response as Christians? Lose heart? Become discouraged? My friends, there is never a greater time for the message of the Gospel than today. We're not going to find it in people. We're not going to find it in institutions. You'll find it only in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we got a world out there that's blind to that truth. Open the eyes of their heart, Lord. Open the eyes of their heart that they may see you high and lifted up, that they might see you. Jesus, as who you really are, the glory of God that is displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. John tells us in Romans chapter 1 or in Revelation chapter 1, that in his vision of Christ he saw Christ's face shining as the full sun. that That was a vision to help us to understand who Christ is. Who is this Christ that lives in us? It is the glory of God. What is the message that we have to give to the world? The glory of God. Father, thank You for Your Word. What a word this is. What a powerful message this is. To the church of Corinth. The church down throughout history and ages. For Lord, certainly, certainly. As we look at the history of the church. There have been times of dire, dire distress. been times, Lord, of open and fierce persecution. There have been times, Lord, of such great wickedness, not only amongst the world leaders, but even within the leadership of the church. That there would many who would cry out as Elijah, thinking they are alone. And yet the Lord says, no, no, no. I still have my 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And this morning he comes to us and he says, I know you think the situation is desperate. The glory of the Gospel shines forth into this world. And Christ will tear the veil that Satan has put over the hearts of unbelievers so that they will come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And you, we as God's people, in this relationship with Christ, in this personal relationship with Christ, have the glory of of God. It is no wonder that God is pleased with those who have been redeemed in Christ. They shine not their own glory, not their own works. They shine forth the glory of His Son in the darkness of this world. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.